0: Welcome to Graphic Policy Radio. This is your host, Ilana Levin, aka Twitter's Ilana Brooklyn, and welcome to our Watchmen episode. I know, I know, finally we're covering Watchmen. It seems obvious that a podcast that's whole thing is the intersection of comics and politics would have probably covered Watchmen by now, Um, but I actually wasn't going to watch Watchmen. Uh, You know, the creator of the graphic, co creator of the graphic novel, Alan Moore, has said he you know, had told his story, didn't want people revisiting it. And DC Comics basically stole his rights to profit from his own art. And I was really unhappy. And, you know, that, the movie that came out was terrible. Like, why did we want to do this? But then I saw the Tulsa Massacre was trending on Twitter. And I figured, fuck, if a TV show can make the white supremacist destruction of what had been called Black Wall Street trend online, then that can only be a good thing. And I better get my act together and cover this. And then one of my listeners gave me his HBO login. Thank you. You know who you are. So here we are now with two amazing guests to talk about HBO's Watchmen series. And look, the comic Watchmen was a brilliant exploration of authoritarianism and what the Cold War was doing to Americans. But one thing it didn't address well was race or gender. So maybe there's room for more of this stuff after all. Joining me for the very first time is Victor Lukerson. He is a freelance journalist who has written for The New Yorker. The New York Times, Time Magazine, and The Ringer. He's currently writing a nonfiction book about Tulsa's Black Wall Street for Random House. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Ilana. And joining me again is Felicia Perez. Felicia is the innovation director at the Center for Story-Based Strategy. She's worked on the United Workers Congress, ACLU of Southern California, and was a high school social studies teacher for 12 years in the LA Unified School District, where she was also an active union leader. She reviews films at Lucha's Flicks Picks. Welcome to the show again.
1: Hi there, Alana. Nice to meet you, Victor. Nice to meet you as well.
0: So... Uh, you know, with the when when it was really the fact that this show got uh, the Tulsa massacre uh, trending that first got me um, interested in it. And oh, to our listeners, this is all spoilers. You've had plenty of time to watch the show. Um, but one of the things that I'd heard is that uh, some of the people who were watching the Tulsa riot scene um, actually thought it was fictional at first when they saw the show, and maybe they thought it was fictional for a while after because they were unfamiliar with the history. Victor, do you have thoughts on? that response that people might have and, and what TV shows that are fiction shows, but are relaying historical information like this one can do to prevent that confusion.
2: Yeah, Alana, I kind of think, uh, Watchmen in- ended up in a weird gray area. Um, a lot of Austin history, uh, shows or media, including the original Watchmen comic, uh, deal with very iconic, widely known events. Uh, the cold war, uh, the president, Richard Nixon, Mm-hmm. Um, or even a sort of show like *Men in the High Castle, which is sort of like, what if the Nazis had won World War II? Uh, but this event was different because, though it is extremely important, and everyone should know about it, a lot of people don't. Um, I feel like the show was sort of operating in that, in that traditional alternate history lane, where you kind of assuming everyone already knows we're playing with real history. Um, so I, I, can kind of, I can see why it was approached that way, but I do wish they had done something um even as simple as uh something at the end of the before the ending credits sort of clarifying what events had actually happened um i think also the fact that on this show uh the descendants of massacre victims have been given reparations or awarded reparations but Mm -hmm. in real life that did not happen even though it's been fought Mm -hmm. for that would have been a great thing for the show to clarify either at the end of episode one or at the end of the series um so I didn't, they should have been, it would have been great if there had been something to sort of help people understand uh, the true history uh, separate from the fiction.
0: I love those ideas. Oh, you know, for the sake of sort of establishing where we're at on this, like what were folks familiarity with the, the comic, if at any, before the show? I, I know I like grew up on the graphic novel. Uh, Vic, Victor, had you read it before?
2: I had not read the graphic novel. I had watched the movie and also thought it was bad <laughs> <laughs> like 10 years ago. Which might turn yeah. me off of the Watchmen IP a little bit, um, but but I actually ended up reading the graphic novel as I was watching the show, so that was kind of interesting because the show is extremely confusing when you don't really know anything about that much about Watchmen. So it's sort of interesting mm-hmm. understanding more of the callbacks and references as I was watching more of the show itself. Alicia, had you read the the book first?
0: Well, actually,
1: I've I, I've been listening to, to you all right now, and and I'm I'm struck by a couple of things. Um, one, I I never watched. Uh, the film uh, that came out earlier nor had I ever uh read the comic book either and i think part of part of some of this is that that's sort of the the catch of these kinds of storylines right like so what happens when you're excited about a show and you start to watch it and in the midst of it you're like i'm a bit confused or really confused. And there are resources out there. I hear that this was a film. I hear this was a comic book. And then you go (laughs) out there and you investigate it. And there were a series of articles that came out right before the show aired and during its sort of like uh, opening hiatus that really gave people um, a cursory but, you know, in-depth enough background into everything. And I feel like the same thing was happening with the actual, you know, uh, nonfiction history of the Tulsa riots, I feel like the same thing was happening where this blurriness of, I think I know this, wait, I don't know this, how much of this is actually true. Um, and it and it again, you know, like, let people uh, really get pulled in to wanting to find out that history for themselves. And I, I, I question sometimes whether or not putting in information at the end of a show or a film like this was true and this wasn't. I mean, history and stories and narratives in general um, have multiple truths. And I feel that if we had a storyline where you then are told this was true and this wasn't, um, then you don't do the investigation for yourself, then you don't mm. then start going deep into books and to uh, trying to find the knowledge for yourself and going really deep into wait, that was true, and this wasn't um, and this should have been true, and this wasn't So I think that um I like the idea of there being this motivation intrinsically within the storyline for you to really go investigate and find out backgrounds to any of the stories fiction or not um that we''re, we're sort of shared.
0: Oh, wow, That's a, these are interesting perspectives, I love it. Um, you know, one of the other things that like really struck me was, uh, you know, centering the story in Tulsa, which like doesn't happen much. You know, I live in New York and I'm used to things being here. Like, Victor, how did you feel about like centering the story in Tulsa, like do you think, and obviously being an alternate reality, an alternate, you know, it's a, it's a, crap, what's the word I'm looking for? Alternate timeline? I guess, um, you know, so, yeah, like, I don't know. I mean, ha- how do you feel about the Tulsa-ness of the story?
2: Um, I mean, it's kind of interesting. I actually just moved to Tulsa to do reporting for my book uh, in mm-hmm. November. So, like, when Watchmen was on on the air. Um, and it's sort of interesting sort of being here and sort of talking to some people here about it. Um, A lot of the people I talked to who were the least connected to uh, the history of Greenwood had the most interest in the story, I think. I think people who've sort of lived it um maybe not weren't that as intrigued by sort of this sci-fi fantasy take on what happened here. Um but um I mean I do think that sort of centering it uh in a place like Tulsa gave this show a um I don't know, it's sort of I think it sort of helps. It kind of it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about this alternate reality or an alternate history people aren't really familiar with, so it sort of created another level of unfamiliarity uh, for I think for a, probably a lot of viewers. Um, so it's sort of mm-hmm. like you have these like layers of unfamiliarity where you have the setting of Oklahoma, this historical event that you may not know anything about, and then also the uh, fantasy elements of the actual Watchmen universe. So I mean, I think it sort of created a um, challenge for the writers because I think for a lot of re- viewers, they're probably very disoriented as the show began. But I do think they did a good job over time of sort of orienting you in the world of Tulsa with all these other elements and sort of having it all come together in a way that ended up making a lot of sense by the time the show came to an end.
0: Well, a moment that knocked my socks off in the first episode was when they go to watch the, the musical Oklahoma.
2: Because,
0: like, the musical Oklahoma was made as a patriotic propaganda, like, deliberately, you know, in the lead up to the war. And um, I hadn't thought about it for a while because I don't like the score very much. Um, but I loved that here are this group of diverse people watching a Black production of Oklahoma in Tulsa and, like, recalling, oh, yeah, that's, this is a story about trying to forge a unified America out of the cowboy and the farmer who should be friends. And then here we have, like, the Black Tulsans and the White Tulsans, like, sharing this space. and. I just, that that actually was a huge moment for me getting excited about the show.
1: I think, you know, I think what's interesting is that when we have these particular storylines that come out, fiction or nonfiction, and they're centered around a location in the South, um, there tends to be um, a sort of like overarching narrative that it's going to be about racism, that it's going to be about white supremacy, and that we're going to see a lot of bad people doing bad things to people who are innocent. And um, it's really hard to find sort of a community of heroes or a community of folks that you really want to champion who you think like actually have a fighting chance. Um, and I, I'm mostly thinking about like all kinds of films, right? Like I just recently saw Just Mercy, centered in the South, really about sort of this like, you know, dichotomy with state sanctioned violence and, you know, white supremacy in our judicial system. Um, but there's always these these moments where, you know, you're like, oh, I know how this story is going to go. It's going to be these folks are bad. These folks are the victims and people are trying to be some sort of heroes here, but they're they're not really going to be successful because the giant is really just too big. And I think that Watchmen was super interesting about like, no, maybe there was a time. And to really get you to question as a viewer constantly, is this real? Did this happen? Is this possible that there could have been some unification, that there could have been some cross-cultural community building uh, in existence, or was is that true fiction? Is that can't possibly be real? You know, black folks um, being both uh, in power in terms of being business owners, uh, being leaders in the community, and being happy, joyous, and free can't possibly be true in the South. And so I think that the show has this ongoing conversation about, do you believe this? Do you think this is true? What, do you, what can you imagine is actually, and agree is actually possible here? Um, and I think that, you know, for myself, other than the musical Oklahoma and other than the song about being from Muskogee, Oklahoma, Um, There's very few things that are out there um, that sort of like reach this kind of popularity level that place on a map, Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, and put it in a way that that isn't necessarily like right from the gate. Like, I don't want to go there.
0: You know, us Northerners, uh, we love situating racism in the South and acting like this isn't our problem, too, which is one of the reasons I loved having uh, Will Reeves, you know, be, be a cop in New York and addressing racism and anti-Semitism there um, and well, you know, one one of the things that I got from this is the, the the show, like the first episode, kind of puts in the position that the cops are actually fighting against racism, and maybe they're stepping on the rights of these white people who have different opinions. And like, I I was sort of I was really worried about where the show was was going to go with that, and um, I. And in, in, in fact, my dad, who didn't even watch the show, popped his head up and was like, hey, do you think it's a problem that a show is saying that the cops are out there defending Black people? And I was like, I, I'm worried about this. Uh, and, you know, I think the, the this show obviously goes and complicates it a lot. But where, where do, you end, do you think this story ends? how do you think the story ends up handling policing um, and and mass vigilanteism as a form of policing?
2: I definitely had those same sort of misgivings or I don't want to say misgivings, um the first episode is is very disorienting because you have um as you said these masked cops who are portrayed as the heroes and sort of this um almost like thumbing your nose at PC culture run amuck ideas I think are sort of there in the first episode. Um they're we sort of talking about some of uh present reference policies and that kind of stuff. Um mm. so it's kind of like you don't really know like exactly where the show is politics land, um, early on. Um, but I did think that going forward, um, first of all, the show showed that, uh, the role of the, the role of the police, uh, ended up, ended up being a lot of like coercion and violence against different kinds of groups, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. like we didn't really, it, they seem to sort of, they still seem to be sort of like a rogue group kind of doing whatever they wanted to do, um, throughout the series, I think. Um, and I also thought it was interesting that they never, like they had this uh, rivalry with the 7th Cavalry, but we didn't really get any sort of insight about how they treat like everyday Tulsans, um, whether black or white and as, or Native American. And I would have been interested to sort of see uh, that organization sort of interacting and in sort of outside of the good versus evil tropes and sort of seeing what they actually do. Um, so I think it was an interesting uh, way to approach them. Uh, sort of making them this the centerpiece of the show, um, but I'm not sure whether uh, I think they're I, I think overall instead of portraying them as the heroes, their portrayal ended up being pretty ambiguous, which probably works out for a show where again you're supposed to be kind of questioning uh, the authority of any group that's trying to tell you what's true and what's not.
1: I mean, for for myself, I don't necessarily know that I would agree that the entire storyline has. Uh, the police being on, you know, the sort of like hero side uh, of everything. Definitely those moments where the Regina King character, um, Angela Abar is, you know, taking the pills where she's seeing the memories of her grandfather. And, really able to sort of, you know, see what he did in response to several things, how he became uh, a policeman, what happened once he became a policeman, um, and the sort of white supremacy in the police department and, you know, the police policing police, uh, those kinds of things all are very um, interesting about the idea of secrets. The idea of stories that we don't tell stories that we keep to ourselves um, because we're trying to protect a larger community uh, and and also protecting ourselves right so secrets come into play here um, and the idea of you know uncovering or sharing an experience to sort of like explain uh, particular actions that might also be in secret moving forward and i think that the thing that is the most troubling for me in the show which others have written about and noted um, during the time that the show was on the air, is that policing itself is never questioned. The police might be questioned and questionable, but policing people uh, is not questioned. Um, Neither is imperialism. Not questioned. Totally okay. And would be totally understandable that the U.S. would continue to be an empire builder uh, and continue to, you know, invade places and occupy spaces like Vietnam and then, you know, occupy it to the point of making it a, a, a state uh, in the United States. And noticeably absent is anybody who's brown right? It is Oklahoma. What else is in Oklahoma? Who else is in Oklahoma? Native Americans. That sort of like uh, national imperialism uh, within the United States is not talked about. There's no Latinx people in this show, right? So there's also a massive absence of communities and people. And again, I, I think that the police especially the characters in this show are often questioned. um, And it's not necessarily that the police are good, but what definitely comes out over and over again is policing is good. That empire building is good. Um, And, you know, those are the things that, that didn't necessarily sit so well with me. You know, Alana in previous conversations that we've had on these podcasts, I'm not a fan of the superhero, you know, Marvel, uh, sort of, you know, canon in that it is so tied to superheroes being in community, in relationship, in partnership with the police and that the police are good. Um, really, you know, talked about that in the last, uh, Spider-Man, uh, series. And so, you know, that that's like a big thing for me. And it came up here again. Um, though I, again, appreciate the critique of, you know, potential, um, You know, folks within the police department and the white supremacists um, who are really using the police department as their place to have, um, you know, sanctioned uh, support for what they do uh, and implement uh, that white supremacist uh, sort of like behavior and and ethos in action. But the idea of, you know, policing anyone, even outside of the police, is, is the thing that is constantly supported in this show.
0: You know, one of the things I loved was the the decision that, you know, Will Reeves, who, the, the, the you know, who becomes Hood sort of Justice, is Black. Like, it never, the character Hood of Justice from the comics doesn't make any sense unless he's Black. And he isn't, he, you know, we we don't know anything about him, you know, racially in in the comics, really. I mean, you see a little bit of a close-up where you see his eyes behind his mask, but as we see in the show, Yeah. Why isn't that stage paint? Um, but like the idea that the only way that a black man was able to defend himself and defend his neighbors, um, in New York, uh, you know, it, what was to be, was to fight like physically fight, uh, and be masked in that. And, um, you know, like from the standpoint of like bringing something to the comic that enriches the comic, that was one thing that knocked my socks off. But like, like, but the whole, you know, that whole episode of him dealing with the mind control um, and the mind control coming from like the, the power of the camera, the power of the cinema um, was, and, and, and that nobody else cared. Like even when he raises it to the other alleged superheroes, that this is never their priority, just sort of bullshit is um i I always have a little bit of a concern when stories posit racism as being something that people are are that's just a conspiracy rather than like something that's produced by systems, but I don't know I mean overall i i I really enjoyed seeing that that part of the plot line um yeah. Sorry, that's not much of a question, is it? um, uh, Victor, would you like to talk about your thoughts about Will Will Reese as a character? Yeah, that was actually my favorite episode,
2: uh, This Extraordinary Being, I think it's called. And also it was the episode where the sort of conceit of the show and sort of the logic of the show really fell into place for me. Um, As I said, I was just very disoriented at first, um, trying to learn all this Watchmen lore, and then... Um, Sort of there were a lot of these interstitial moments in the early episodes with the uh, American hero story, which is like the pop culture version of Hooded Justice. Mm -hmm. And that seemed very arbitrary at first. Like, why are we showing these random comic books fight scenes? And then when you realize that Hooded Justice is black, you realize that, oh, actually, those are sort of a representation of um, erasure and... um, a, a, a new history being implanted over the real one. So I really thought that episode mm-hmm. did a great job of uh, both deepening Reeves' character, but also sort of showing that um, the way the show is playing with different media texts, both like the actual original Watchmen comic, but also these stories that are presented in the this, in this show itself, like American Hero Story, are also relevant to its themes. I really thought they did a really that was just a really smart episode that sort of helped, I think, the viewer understand that all the random stuff before was sort of going to a greater point, basically.
1: I think it was brilliant for sort of showcasing to folks like this is this is how those kinds of narratives um, and and truths get developed. Right. Like if you see it in a comic, if you see it on the news, if you see it in your history books, if you see it talked about by your community, if you see it everywhere, then it must be true. And anything that questions something that you've seen in so many different platforms and in so many different ways must be the outlier. Right. So for me. It was, you know, an incredible episode to really talk about and sort of uncover how these kinds of, you know, world views and world opinions come about because of the where the narratives and the stories come from um, and, and how strung together they create a particular kind of space where we're like, that has to be the truth. And anything that counters it is the thing that I must be suspect of.
0: You know, one of the things um, that I never would have guessed coming from the comic was uh, the that um, you know the, that 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 Doctor Manhattan um, is like the perfect handsome hu- younger husband of our protagonist um, Angela Abar, um, and I think about you know in in the comics and in the show, the most powerful being in the universe is Doctor Manhattan. Um, and I'm, i What do you think about the decision that the the most powerful man in the universe decides to be a black man in America?
1: Does he decide to be a black man? I mean, uh, it's he becomes who he is at least in the in the TV show storyline because he asks Angela, "What kind of person, basically, what kind of body do you want me to embody while we're together?" And it's in the morgue, right, where she's like, uh, I think this is the person who I would like you to be. Um, So I don't know that it's a decision of Dr. Mm. Manhattan as much as it is power being shared with Angela. Angela, I want you to like me uh, in all the different ways that one can, can want to be liked. Therefore, the power that I have is to be whoever you want me to be. So I think that that is more Angela's decision than Dr. Manhattan's.
2: That's definitely a great insight. Um, and I would also uh, just say that I really appreciated the sort of symbolism um, in that transformation. Dr. Manhattan had been the person, entity that could shape history the most um, in his sort of God form. And then when he became a black man, he like no longer had that power, or at least not not alone, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he has, he has a line at some point, I think when he's talking to Maybe Ozymandias. He's saying, "I can no longer see all of history, or I, I can no longer, I can no longer influence future events." I think is the quote he has, and so mm-hmm. I think that was an interesting um, way to sort of show how he has lost a lot of his own agency to shape his own story, which is an issue that um, people of color often have in the United States, especially when you're um, trying to express your own truth, but then there's these like, dominant social narratives um, that end up becoming what's in the history books.
0: One thing I sort of thought was a bit unfortunate is, you know, um, John Osterman, the the little boy who becomes Dr. Manhattan is is Jewish in the comics. And is like, maybe briefly as an aside mentioned as Jewish, uh, in the show. And like, there's some symbolism of there being, you know, this black Jewish, this Jewish superhero becomes a black superhero. Um, and in this moment where, uh, the powers that be are really trying to get black people and Jewish people to fight, and that um, black Jewish identities, and there's like tons of black Jewish people, are being erased in the media conversation that we have this like, here's someone who could be a black Jewish superhero, but like it doesn't actually get acknowledged in any significant way. And I suspect most viewers probably don't even remember that Dr. Manhattan is, is, is Jewish.
1: Um, yeah, I, I I would assume that people sort of you know uh, would would lose sight of that uh, as the rest of the series you know came on. I, I do want to ask the two of you though a question about mm-hmm. going back a little bit to um, the Will Reeves character and and Hooded Justice. There's those great lines in that, in, this, in that one episode, right? There's like three big, huge episodes that are just like profound and really great in the show. We seem to be stuck on one in particular right now. Sort of the, the memories and the uncovering of, of Hooded Justice's backstory with Will Reeves really, you know, sort of giving us a lot more to think about and consider. But there's this, this line where it's about um, you can't heal under a mask, that wounds need air, right? So there's this this whole thing about like uh, also sort of questioning um, whether or not uh, heroes really should be hooded, really should be um, covered, really should be um, pretending or uh, not wanting to reveal who they truly are or that there shouldn't be um, sort of an emphasis on on doing so in order to stay safe, um, you know, and, and there's this whole line within that, you know, you can't heal under under a mask where there's this line about, um, you know, basically uh, it's not anger that you feel under the mask. It's only fear and hurt. And, but then the mm-hmm. next line is trust in the law, right? So there's this whole thing that's <laughs> like trust, trust in yeah. the law, but is is the law just like law or is is the reference to trust in the law, like trust in the police? So there's there's some phrases that get used which make it, you know, a little bit ambiguous about, like, what exactly it is that you're supposed to trust in. There's all these sort of, like, moments about, like, um, uh, being covered up and being hooded and basically, like, not being seen uh, and not wanting mm-hmm. to see someone, right? It's so much easier to hurt to uh, kill, to uh, eradicate someone when you dehumanize them. And part of that dehumanization comes in, like, let me I don't want to see you. I can't see your face. I can't see you as a human being. Um, but isn't that also what we do to our superheroes? They couldn't possibly be everyday people either. Um, they have to be extraordinary um, and something that I can't identify with either. So I, I just thought that there was something there. And I'm wondering um, what the two of you think about you know, the masking that happens, whether it's in the first episode and, you know, like they can't be seen because in order to support the police, you know, you can't know who they are and the superhero sort of, you know, like costumes and masks and then Hooded Justice's backline story. Like what, what's up with masks um, and being hidden or covered up uh, as a, as a storyline uh, in the series?
0: Victor?
2: Um I think it's. I think one of the interesting things about the Watchmen franchise, and I guess one of Alan Moore's great conceits, was um, not giving anyone explicit superpowers, which I think makes this whole mask question a lot more interesting. Because, uh, for example, I mean, on the show, Angela Abar doesn't have an actual power. She's really strong and a great fighter, but she doesn't actually have a power. Mm-hmm. So I think it sort of it helps to highlight the question you're asking about, like why does she need this mask? Like, what is she protecting exactly? Um, so I think that's just a great original concept. by Alan Moore to sort of make that the focus, um, the actual mass nature of the, of the heroes, um, or characters that are always heroic. Um, but, um, I do think that at least what the show seems to posit is that, um, with those masks, they are, they are sort of having this like, inner destruction as they'd have this outer violence. Obviously, Will Reeves ends up losing his family. Um, as a result of um, this bounce he carries with him from his street fighting back to his home, um, and then we sort of see with Angela and her adopted children how um, she has some trouble connecting with them or sort of revealing the things she's doing out in the world to her children at home. So I think the show she's deposit that uh, this sort of mass life isn't healthy or you know tenable in the long term, and then mm-hmm. I sort of think that the idea that towards the, at the end of the show, right, she's sort of finally admitting to her son that um, she's sister night and then her and Will Reeves finally have this connection um, without masks. So, I mean, I think that you see the mask sort of causing a lot of internal psychological harm for the characters. And I think it's good that they, um, it's, it's it's important that they eventually sort of put the, put the mask away, I guess, at the end of the series.
1: What's interesting is huh. that when, when, when Hooded Justice finds his son, Right there's that scene where uh, basically Angela's dad, Will Reeves' son, is like trying to be like his dad. He's trying to be like Hooded Justice, and in that moment, Will Reeves is like, "No, don't do that." And that sort of like sparks this moment where uh, you know Will Reeves' son and wife are going to leave him because now they don't know him either. They don't recognize quote him with or without the mask. Um, And he's sort of taking things out on his family versus, you know, the larger uh, community uh, at large that might actually be doing him harm. And so the response to that is that Hooded Justice's son is like, well, I want to be a good person, too. I want to be a hero, but I'm not going to do it wearing a mask. I'm going to do it wearing a uniform. And he joins the military, and that's why he's in Vietnam, right? So there's right. there's a constant narrative that again, policing, imperialism, all good, all good. Policing the police is good. Everything about policing is good. And the, the question really seems to be about which is better? Policing as a vigilante and somebody who you're not, you know, showing who your identity is. Is there power in anonymity in that way? Or are you more powerful? when you are exposing and revealing who you are and not trying to hide. And so I think that there's something between uh, military uniforms and masks um, and uh, having a badge versus having a superpower. Um, And I would just, you know, I I think there's an interesting question about like, what is a superpower? Is it a power that um, like, yes, just like what is the definition of a superpower? Because I would dare say that being a black woman in the United States isn't of itself a superpower these days.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, this is jumping ahead to something, but I was thinking about how you know it turns out, and I was a little bit bummed about it. That you know, Lady True's uh, whole thing is that she wants to give herself superpowers, and she actually has superpowers. She's a billionaire. Like you already see her demonstrating her super, her super, her superpowered ability to control people's lives and to do all kinds of fancy science as well. Um, and then it's like, it's like, oh, so she just wants. To be Dr. Manhattan now too. Um, I I was sad to have, even though I, I you know, I'm not a fan of billionaires, uh, but I was disappointed to have her be like a firmly, fully healed character in the story. And um, you know, I guess there's maybe a piece of like, but they didn't really go there, you know, with um, you know, like she's she's a Vietnamese heritage and like you know, is, you know, Dr. Manhattan devastated her, 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 mother's country. And, you know, she's capturing, trying to capture that, that power, supernatural ability for herself. But, you know, she's found basically by the story to be unworthy. She gets her like s- sky stigmatos through her hands, basically. Um, and then the person who ends up being given the real option to have superpowers in the end is Angela. And it's left ambiguous, you know, does, does she get to walk on water or not?
1: Right. I mean, everybody needs a Bruce Wayne. For me, Lady True is the Bruce Wayne in this story, right? Like Bruce Wayne doesn't have a single superpower except for the fact that he's rich and can buy these different toys that give him and the public the illusion that he actually has something like genetically altered in his humanity that allows him to be superhuman. And so that for me is is Lady True, you know, the author uh, and and McCarthy, uh, you know, grantee, uh, Viet Nguyen is the one who wrote that article um as soon as uh Watchmen finished uh really sort of critiquing the show in terms of uh what Lady True didn't get as a character in the show most folks had mm. a pretty intense backstory if they had such a such a big important uh character line in in the overall TV show but Lady True the only we only got as far back as her mom and her and her mom and her, back and forth, back and forth. And, and that was it. And We never really understood why her mom uh, wanted to be impregnated, um, what the backstory would have been behind there. Um, very few sort of like moments uh, talk about uh, how people in uh, Vietnam uh, feel about being yeah. occupied. Um, and there's still no connection there to Lady True. And I, I think that, I don't know about you all, but me as a viewer, that's what I was hoping was going to be uh, sort of exposed in season two of the Watchmen was that we'd get a little bit more backstory about Lady True. And then hearing that the Watchmen uh, show was no longer going to be continuing. It just felt like, all right, I, I appreciate it when things don't necessarily end uh, cookie cutter where, you know, the beginning middle of end of a, of a story, but this didn't, didn't even feel like we got the middle uh, so, I feel quite cheated um, and quite sad that there it was an absence of new characters who I think uh, should have been in the show. And then, you know, the, the, our Bruce Wayne, Lady True character, didn't really, I feel, get the justice um, in really, you know, exposing and sharing uh, what her sort of incentives were for certain things like the other characters.
0: Well, unfun fact there were no Asian writers in the writers' room. Oh, well, that explains like, no Asian a lot. American. And no Asian, Asian, um, none, period. Um, oh, wow. The actress who plays Lady True is Vietnamese. She uh, is. But yeah,
2: that's it. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely thought that, um, especially in the last episode, she kind of became a pretty intense plot device and kind of just like, reflecting other characters' actions and wishes. Um, obviously, her entire uh, interaction with Adrian Vate sort of feels like it's a way to like bring him back to the story when he's mm-hmm. been off on the moon the whole season and kind of like, a random, side a random side plot and then that her, she's, I feel like her function is to bring him back to the center of the story basically in a lot of ways. And then also when um, they're going to give their come up, what we're well, just fine going to give his comeuppance to the racist Tulsa leaders but then Lady True delivers his message. I was confused about Why he wasn't delivering the message, like, why, like, shouldn't she have have her own motivations for doing this? That seemed like a weird, I thought there, especially when they got, like, zapped away by her, that was a weird confluence of two different characters with two different motivations for being in this situation, kind of in a weird, ended in a very weird, abrupt, sci-fi way, basically. Yeah. And where did they go? Yeah, I have no idea. (laughs)
0: I guess she, I thought she just sort of bounced them out of existence. One thing I did enjoy was how everybody in this show was like, well, I guess it's no surprise that the chief of police was actually racist after all. And, was, but he, what a good performance from Don Johnson. And um, uh, actually, no one is surprised that you, Senator, are actually part of a racist conspiracy. No one is
1: <laughs> Only <laughs> like, the United I, States in 2020 and 2019, uh, I think, does that happen. You know, like and I, I thank Mr. Robot for a lot of that. Right. Like, I think that there mm. was something happening in the last five years. Um, Not that that wasn't already happening for a a large section uh, of of the population questioning and and talking about, like, this isn't right, those people are behind, blah, blah, blah. Um, You -hmm. know, but I I think that that popular culture really sort of pointing the finger and talking about how all these different state-sanctioned institutions are really behind some of these, you know, both historic never went away uh, you know, white supremacist actions uh, and, and and thoughts um, is, is a very interesting, you know, sort of like place to be in. To question the rich, to question police, to question uh, laws, to question authority, and co- to question the government, I think is, is a newer thing uh, that we're seeing that is really sort of, in my mind, a response to um, the law and order TV shows, you know, all of them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the, one of the longest <laughs> TV shows that has like so many different yeah. versions of itself. And all it is is a PR machine for you know the police are good and join the police force you know like it is no it is no uh, it's absolutely uh, understood why the last 20 years has seen a you know rush in people who want to be criminal justice majors and folks who want to join uh, the police and the military and the reserves and all these different kinds of things. Whenever we want folks to join and to agree with a particular thing, we see those storylines in films, in television, and all around us. And no one ever questions whether or not ice tea is good or bad. No one ever questions <laughs> whether or not special victims unit is, a, you know, like a good thing to watch. Um, but when you put it up against Watchmen, it's a very different uh, light. That is being uh, cast on uh, police and government.
0: One of the things which I'm really interested in is the production of conspiracies in the show, right? So in the comic, in the show, you know this the brutal image of the tiny baby squid that he made uh, dropping on people, which is just like 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 some sort of toxic rain. It just broke my heart. But um, you know, you have this all brilliant man sitting in remove, and he's making a conspiracy to keep everybody fooled. And even Looking Glass, who's, you know, a very smart man, um, is like just yet another person who is believing in this conspiracy. And then, you know, the the racist plot to brainwash everyone, to brainwash Black people into committing violence against other Black people in movie theaters is another conspiracy. Um, And there's, you know, there's so many conspiracies in the show that, have sort of parallels to real things but 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 also pinning these real problems on conspiracies sort of alleviates some of the, of the you know the actual obligation that people have to say like you need to stop being racist and things like that um but i i, I really i you know i love the art direction of the show and i enjoyed the optics that they used and built around the uh the, in 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 the flashback episodes the conspiracy group um who was Doing the projectors to like make this you know, the theaters of, of black people commit violence against each other and folks have reaction to these
2: positions. Yeah, I think would, a um, bit more, I would um, have been interested to see a little bit more I would've been interested to see a little bit more conspiracies um, more based in the real world and the a of conspiracies more based in the real world and uh, the actual for example, history of Tulsa. It's surprising um, to mm-hmm. me for example, that this it's surprising basis, to me that this practice? group Racist takes the massacre, white supremacist group like um, takes the space? massacre. I would have thought like, that, that kind of group would um, would at its base no, never even happened. I would have like, thought that that kind of group would be saying, "No, it's never even happened." Like people are exaggerating this whole thing. I would have, been, like, I think, would, would be, interest so would be, think would be in interesting to sort of see that group the actual history or itself. see people in the city and sort with the actual history itself. Theories in a way that might lend itself to conspiracy theories. That seems like a to me that seems like a very intuitive way to view that group's motivation that sort of reflects some of the way to view that group's motivation that sort of reflects some people manipulate history in the real world. So I, I, um, I, they the, didn't really come I thought they the, the entire um, show. So I, the I thought the, I thought the, the entire show a lot of the most the resonant themes, themes as ended up happening with the, the like superhero conceits like Tulsa as Tulsa opposed conceits, to the actual like life in Tulsa conceits, I guess.
0: It's a really good observation.
1: I mean, I think um, I think the show was also showing, uh, <laughs> it's it, that whole that the storyline about you know um, learning how to basically brainwash someone. And this like sort of strobe light, uh, you know, images uh, in, in the different, you know, uh, film reels and different things like that. And then the movies happening in this way. Like, I mean, that's, that's the sort of, you know, uh, talk about how culture, right, is definitely um, behind some of the actions and the thoughts and the feelings that we have. I mean, you have in the South uh, a series of statues, that the last few years people have been trying to bring down. Well, let's talk about why they went up and why do people want to bring them down? Because they are, in fact, definitely responsible for the kinds of cultural narratives and beliefs that we have about who is a real-life hero um, and who should we be revering, um, both historically and right now uh, in our communities, right? So when a statue gets put up, uh, in the South, these statues, these names of schools, these kinds of things all come up as a response to the end of uh, Civil War, to the um, end of segregation. These are all things reminding folks, those people who are now able to share power with us are not the heroes. We still are. And in fact, uh, the we who are still heroes are those who continue to try and keep us separated and, and that you know we as uh, quote, white folks and white people are more superior, right? And so I think that 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 episode and that moment of showing us how culture creates those sort of you know um, beliefs and therefore then actions and responses was super powerful I think for me as a viewer it made me question is this show doing the same thing is this show in and of itself as a storyline and as a narrative critiquing the police critiquing um you know uh sp- government representatives and what they do is this in fact also doing the same thing
0: one of the things that really hit um in the later episode was i mean you have little angela in vietnam and the movie she wants her parents to get her is a black exploitation movie none with a gun and um she its obviously a movie that's too violent for a kid her age and she literally explains in case any viewers don't understand it she's like I want to see this movie because I haven't seen a woman who looks like her in a movie before. And that, you know, what, what drew little Angela to, to, to want to watch this movie is like, she's like, Oh my gosh, here's a black woman like me. And she's physically powerful and she can defend and take care of herself. And like, I'm going to take and gather and grab whatever representation of that I have, like regardless of like, you know, what it is she's doing or Angela as a little kid's ability to understand the the
2: other kinds of subtexts that a movie
0: like that would have had, you know, like as a black exploitation movie and all that, like that would have been made at the time.
2: Yeah. And, and that was a great parallel to uh, Will Reeves and Bass Reeves and the way he was inspired mm-hmm. by a real life uh, black cowboy, U.S. marshal to sort of create his own heroic persona based on that. So the, the show just did a really good job with that sort of like meta contextual, like, how we and how we like incorporate media into our own lives, all those dynamics. I thought that was definitely the show's like greatest skill.
0: Wow, well, you know, here's something I didn't know: Bass Reeves was a real person. Oh, really? Nope, had no idea. Um, and knowing this definitely changes how I relate to that particular moment in the story.
2: Yeah, no, he um, was um, <laughs> uh, a U.S. marshal in the late 1800s. Um, and I mean, all the things they depicted about him were essentially accurate. He would capture uh, outlaws and that kind of thing. I believe he actually though had to. He was basically trying to capture black outlaws. Like that was the nature of the right. segregation at the time. They can only capture black criminals. Um, of course. Yeah, and then I no, I gotta. I'll check my facts about this later. But my understanding is that um, essentially at some point... he was a he was a when they brought statehood to Oklahoma, they sort of like. A lot of Jim Crow laws came to the state at that time, and so mm-hmm. he could no longer be like a U.S. marshal, and so he had to go to be like more like a local policeman. Lost a lot of stature um, as Jim Crow sort of came out west, essentially later in his life. So he ended up—he I think he ended up sort of like having to have his uh, prestige reduced uh, because of racism. But he was definitely celebrated um, in Oklahoma. Like a lot of people out here definitely uh, celebrate him and his legacy for sure.
1: And he's the wow. gar- he's the character who. Constantly, as as different sort of you know black and white uh, um, uh, episode parts are shown, he's the one who has the tagline all the time. You know, trust in the law, right? So he yep. he is the one who sort of like brings brings that home uh, again. What I'm calling the law and order TV show uh, sort of you know narrative, mm-hmm. trust in the law. And I you know I I mentioned Ice-T as a character in SVU um, not for nothing. Right. Like um, there aren't that many African-American characters in Law and Order. Uh, And so, you know, referencing the the one that's there. I also think that, you know, religion comes out a couple of times in in the series. You know, so you've got Nun with a Gun, uh, who's dressed up uh, like uh, a nun of, you know, a a Christian sort of like order. And then we have Looking Glass, who sort of, you know, talk about conspiracy and believing anything. Um, He's Mormon. Uh, He's on on a Mormon tour. When this sort of moment happens, where he's at this uh, carnival uh, and the squids start to come down, so it's, you know, religion and believing and having quote faith in these kinds of things and just going with what you're told um, comes out in the show.
0: And it's not just a carnival; he's at a Saint So and So's day. Like I hundred like like Frank and I, my my husband, who's like like Long Island to the Catholic family, we're like. Oh, that's a specific Saints' holiday in that town. So he's this like, you know, he's this Mormon guy from the middle of the country. He's suddenly in New Jersey. He's surrounded by Catholics, probably for the first time of his life. Um, they and like he has this like crisis of confusion. Uh, he's you know taking advantage of fish out of water right away. But um, but that but that was like a very clear, religious cultural moment. Uh, in how they chose to depict that thing for him, like he wasn't at a shopping mall, he wasn't at the Fourth of July party, he was at a Saint So and So's Day festival right, in right. Logan. Um, I I uh, don't, I don't want to miss one thing, which was um, I President Redford, um, and you know, in in which is set up sort of as being the, the liberal version of President Ronald Reagan, who didn't exist in this alternate universe. Um, and in the and the administration of President Redford, you know, the government looks very different, right? Like there's reparations. Um, Henry Louis Gates is like the wh- what was his governmental title? He's like the ch- chairman of the Treasury or something. Like, yeah, I think so. It's it's a very it's a div- it's a very different world that they're imagining. Do you have thoughts about President Redford and the government, the national government as it's sort of handled here?
2: Uh, Felicia, do you have any? You want to go first?
0: Well,
1: I mean, um, we have two R's, right? So, I mean, it's 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 kind of amazing that Ronald Reagan and Robert Redford uh, have the exact same initials uh, and are both mm-hmm. Hollywood stars. And it's not like Robert Redford is, you know, not involved in politics. Um, he's right. pretty, you know, yeah, out, out front and yeah. seen as a lefty guy. Uh, and so, I think that I think that it's it's interesting. Um, that how, again, the show and, and the storyline as a comic continues to blur the lines between that can't be real. Wait, is that real? Right. So the idea of Robert Redford being the president, anyone being, uh, having any suspicions to like, that couldn't possibly happen. It's like, really? Because that didn't happen already or that isn't happening even right now. Um, so I think that, I think that again, it's one of those moments of blurring the lines between what you think, you know, and what you do know.
0: And and, you know, Ozymandias positions Redford as being the Redford being president as being a product of his own machinations. Like it isn't the people of America who put him there; it's Ozymandias. At least thinks that Ozymandias put him there um, by basically getting the Cold War ended and the nuclear threat, you know, off off the map. Um, Do do people have thoughts about the Ozymandias character? Like, one thing I give the show credit for is I immediately could tell that he was playing Ozymandias because he had the the mauve sort of purple color scheme from the comic. I was like, that, that's who that is. Um, but uh, yeah, any Ozy- thoughts about the Ozymandias storyline or any of that?
2: Well, as someone who had not read the comics, uh, before I started watching the show, his storyline was extremely confusing for <laughs> many episodes. Just like, why does this guy even matter? Basically. Um, definitely when I sort of realized, uh, his role with the squid and, you know, him being this like mastermind, quote unquote, evil genius, um, his story became a lot more interesting. Um, and it, it kind of got back into what Felicia was saying about um, how can you trust what you're seeing? Like when they have a uh, looking glass sit there and have Ozymandias say that he constructed this entire thing and it was a giant elaborate prank and I made the president do this and all this kind of stuff. And then it was just like, I, when I watched that, I was like, I don't even know whether this guy's being truthful or not. Um, Mm -hmm. so I think that and maybe if I'd read the comic, I might've been like, oh, this is like part of the lore or whatever, but I hadn't read the comic yet at that point. I was just like, this is even more of a, to another curveball that makes you not even trust any of this media that's being presented in the story. Um, and in the comic,
0: the character who's sort of, who's partially inspires Looking Glass is the one person who, from the heroes who tells on Mandius, like, no, you, you can't fucking do that and tries to stop him personally. And fails because he's a regular man and then this one looking glass the the stand-in for you know for Warshack is like i'm taking you to jail and just is somehow able to do that here
2: oh i mean at the very, very end yeah i
1: i think i think that there's a lot within the show that makes a lot questionable um and you know just this last week we had in florida iguana falling out of trees You know, and iguanas just falling and being still on the ground because it got so warm or no, so cold um, that the iguanas, you know, uh, just couldn't couldn't stay uh, with their blood flow going in and around. It didn't mean that the iguanas then as the temperature rose. Um, didn't then, you know, get their blood working again and got up and and walked away. But for a minute there in reality, in the United States in 2020, we have what seemed like iguanas falling from, from the earth because they were falling from trees if they were up in that space and just all over the ground. So I think that, you know, we have these different moments where like, what is real? Is, is there an entity or a person behind something? Um, or is it just, you know, part of, part of the environment's, you know, response to different things? I I think another thing that would be interesting to talk about Ilana is how queer the show is in many different ways. Regina King never gets married. Um, there are folks mm-hmm. who are completely single uh, the whole time and might be looking for partnership and relationship and love, but not necessarily commitment in that way. Uh, we have Hooded Justice having um, an extramarital uh, affair yeah. and maybe being you know gay and queer the whole time um, and, and having to sort of like fit in. There's a lot of storylines of like having to fit in, of having to hide, uh, of having to un cover of having to keep secrets uh of having to reveal uh, the truth in many different ways but i i was struck that you know hooded justice had such a such a deep storyline that i don't want us to lose the fact that he was also a gay black man uh and and yeah. how often do we do we see that uh as well uh in a particular uh storyline
0: well, you know, I, I was glad that they included that because there's a little bit of subtext that Hooded Justice may have been gay in the original comics. Um, and it would have been a shame to lose that. I was intrigued and saddened at how some how, how mad some male viewers were mm-hmm. at the revelation that Hooded Justice was gay. Uh, Regina King's character do- is married, though. She's married to, to Dr. Manhattan because they refer to him as her husband. Oh, I
1: didn't realize that. Cool
0: yeah, but that's fine. Um, he is much younger and it's very cute. but um, <laughs> but uh, but you know so I, I, I definitely agree that, that 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 was a significant like piece of his identity that he was hiding. Um, and it was interesting that the TV show within the TV show really sexualized and sensationalized the the queer, possibly like BDSM ish relationship um, and uh, made that sort of be like a standard assumption of like of course that's how the sex plays out.
2: I thought that was interesting, too, because I feel like the show within a show portrayal was more similar to the Watchmen graphic novel portrayal, because mm-hmm. as I'm remembering the way it was portrayed in the, the graphic novel, it's sort yeah. of like this secret and like, I think it's sort of portrayed as this thing, you, you don't know this about him, but if you knew it, you'd have totally different thoughts, you know, it has that sort of like dark right. underbelly portrayal. So then it was interesting that the show within a show, which is the most comic booky, Element of the series was kind of getting back into the the way he was portrayed um, in the original graphic novel.
0: Well, at the, the first time we see her husband, her, hus- her husband slash Doctor Manhattan, but like in human form, um, watching that, sitting on the couch watching the show, we had a moment of, oh, no, I'm sorry, it wasn't when he was, it wasn't looking. Us e. was watching it. We had a moment of like, wait, is he watching porn? Oh no, no, he's watching the HBO show within the HBO show, mm. and that for a second there, we couldn't tell the difference between the HBO show within the HBO show and like a character watching, you know, porn, but in like a censored way that you could show on a rated RTV show. Um, so sitting on that.
2: No, I guess just like, I really thought the show, um, it just felt like a very modern show in a lot of different ways, both for the um, the anxiety, the cultural anxieties we have, um, the squid is this sort of like climactic apocalypse that could happen at any moment did um, the, the sort of like the absurdity of having a celebrity president but then you know we live with that so I thought yeah, all this stuff yeah. was like really per- oddly pertinent but also just the fact that the show felt very like internet ready Um, as Felicia said there's sort of like this assumption that you're gonna go google a lot of stuff after you watch the show um, mm. and then also this idea that like oh I'm gonna be able to balance in my mind a TV show I'm watching, and the media they're watching on the show, and like all these surrounding medias, all these screens everywhere, like all of that just felt like a really um, modern, smart way to approach it. So I just thought they did really well with all that, um,
0: yeah, media portrayal. And portrayals. you know, the comic is a comic about comics, right? And having the TV show be a TV show about TV shows, and like watching screens, I thought was like, yeah, that works.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I love this point that, that that Victor just made. I I questioned it and thought about it before and now from what you just said victor i'm i'm more solidified and in, in this being true i do not believe that this show could have come out any other time than right now The storyline the way it was portrayed anything like it i do not believe that it could have come out been successful and had the kind of impact and effect that it has had than any other time like right now right i think if we had seen this show in the early or mid nineties that people would not have been able to look up and confirm for themselves The Tulsa riots and that historical piece that is accurate. I do not think that people would be ready to be critical of Ronald Reagan. I do not think that people would have been ready to be critical about police. Um, I think that there's a lot to the ripeness of 2019 and 2020 and everything that we're doing right now, both with technology and our sort of questioning of the government and really uncovering because of you know access to information, including our phones sharing information from our real lives in terms of. You know, state sanctioned violence and police brutality. I do not think that this show could have existed any other time than
0: right now. I love it. That's a great note to wrap on. Um, Victor, tell our listeners where they can find more of your work online.
2: So, yeah, as I said, I'm living in Tulsa right now doing reporting uh, on a book about the history of the Greenwood District. And I have a, a biweekly newsletter where I offer some of uh, my reporting and writing and research. Uh, it's called Run It Back, and it's at uh, runitback.substack.com.
0: You know, uh, your essay that you wrote for the New York magazine, for New York magazine about Watchmen, like, that's how I, that's how I found out about your work. Oh, and cool. Like, I think for everybody, it's a must, must, must read, which actually hits me that we've managed to get to the end of the episode and nobody's mentioned generational trauma at like in an, mm. in an extensive way. And I feel a bit bad mm. about that, but it also is something people have talked a lot about with regard to the show. Um, in, cause it is such a striking like theme within, within the show as well. Um,
1: I think there's something to generational trauma and generational resilience, and so I think that the show really speaks to both.
2: Yeah, I think yeah. the show the show I think the show works best when you really zoom into the Abar and Reeves family and look at all their dynamics. I think that's where the show shines the most, for sure. Yeah, awesome, and
0: and and just using the the the, the nostalgia drug uh, as a as a medium for to make clearer the way we understand the other generation's experiences of trauma, which can sometimes come to us just feeling like feelings, anxiety, um, you know, like why, you know, why, why, why my parents never throw anything away or like that kind of dynamics. And to be like, well, now we're gonna let you see this.
1: But to be um, clear, Felicia, taking those pills was seen as the most dangerous thing that Angela uh, as a character could do because the greatest fear was that she might not come back to being able to live her life alone, right? The fear is that the memories that she is um, ingesting and consuming would be all-consuming, and she would forget about who she was, her agency, her storyline, her everything. And I think that is constantly what we are told, um, at least in the U.S., uh, about history, right? Right. It's history. Leave it there. Right. When we talk about people who um, are, you know, still carrying the Confederate flag and blah, 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 blah and doing all these things like that happened then. I'm not doing that now. Right. Like we, we tend to look at and continue to support the idea that history has a place and it's not now and that wanting to bring it back up or wanting to, quote, not let it go is dangerous because we have to move on. And it p- continues to position things on a dichotomy that you you either change or you accept, and that there isn't anything in between where they're very much so in line and in partnership with one another. You can't change until you accept you can't change you can't accept until you're willing to change, and so I think that the show is um, incredibly queer and advanced in that way of really bringing in all the things about questioning what is and what could be um, and doing so within the storyline of all these different characters being connected in some way, shape or form in that way. And so I, I, I just loved this show in what it, what it did and even in what it didn't. All the things that are left mm-hmm. to be unknown, continue this conversation about, you know, what's the kind of history um, that we do want to create moving forward.
0: That's a great statement. And Felicia, where can our listeners find more of your great statements?
1: <laughs> um, probably spelled incorrectly at um, Lucha's Flix Picks uh, on uh, Facebook. And um, you can continue to have uh, any more uh, information uh, to ingest about stories in general, uh, going to storybasedstrategy.com and following the Center for Story-Based Strategy online.
0: I love it. Uh, and I'm Ilana Uh, Ilana underscore Brooklyn. That's E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn on Twitter. A little bit too much. Uh, Graphic Policy Radio. We are on every podcast platform and we encourage you to listen and share and we encourage you to keep it geeky.